number four, teaching friends from across the country. Who've discovered that if you don't laugh, you cry and lose sight of your why. I'm Retta. I'm Deanne. I'm Tracy. And I'm Kathy. And we teach so hard. Welcome to our sixth episode featuring children's literature you can actually use in your classroom. (laughs) Yay! I know. Every second Tuesday of the month, We Teach So Hard features themed children's literature. These special podcasts are filled with four recommendations, usually more though, and lesson ideas that you can use in your classroom the very next day. So let's get started, ladies. Today, we'll be talking about hope. It Mm. seems that these are dire times. Hate, anger, and rage against others is more the norm than ever. Mm -hmm. This is such a timely and needed theme to showcase. When the news and social media seem hopeless, we hope these books will inspire and give hope to your students and to you. And did you know that according to research, hope is the key to academic achievement and it's a skill that students can develop over time. Wow. Uh, Hadn't thought about that, huh? No. You know, but it's so important. I think there was a statistic, a statistic I read recently that one of the number one, the number one cause of death in people younger than 30 is suicide. Thankfully, scientists who have been looking at this have found that the majority of students, though, in the United States, at least say that they're very hopeful. And Mm -hmm. we have to worry about those who aren't. Um, Kids can lose hope as a result of family circumstances, if they're witnesses to violence. Um, The good news is that we can start to cultivate it if we use good literature, if we have some good activities and discussion. And and we can bring hope back, even among students who are at risk for losing it. Mm-hmm. What's that line from the Emily Dickinson poem? Hope is a thing with feathers that perches in the soul. I love that poem. Oh, yes. I like that. Mm. I do. Well, too. yes. Scientists. So oh, sorry. <laughs> let's introduce our books. Go yeah. ahead. Okay. So scientists have found that hopeful students draw on memories of other successes. So if they have that base of, you know, something positive, so that when they face an obstacle, um, they have something to help them along with it. But students who do not have that, who have low hope, often don't have these kinds of memories. That's why it's so vital for teachers to read books and share stories of other people, especially kids and teenagers who have overcome adversity to reach their Mm -hmm. goals. Um, So a book I chose was new to me. It's called Seeds of Freedom, The Peaceful Integration of Huntsville, Alabama by Hester Bass. And usually when you talk about civil rights, right away, you know, the kids talk about Ruby Bridges or um, Rosa Parks or Martin Luther King. And they recall also images of just that terrible violence. But in Huntsville, Alabama, um, the citizens of that city their creativity, their courage and cooperation, they were the keys to actually working together um, across all colors and all barriers um, to integrate their city and schools in peace. Oh, I have to check this book out now. I know, I know. I was like, what? I never knew about this. So in an engaging celebration of 
this lesser known chapter in American and African American history, this book gives hope and shows how racial discrimination, bullying, and unfairness can be faced successfully with perseverance and thinking outside the box. It's a beautiful Mm -hmm. picture book about people coming together and working against what was seemingly hopeless um, that time Mm -hmm. period, yet they were succeeding. And 2018 was the 25th anniversary of this book. And it's, it's wonderful. Wow. Still I have this, book. this is, yeah. I'm right in the middle of a unit on um, civil rights with my kids. So oh, I perfect. Oh, oh yes. <laughs> <laughs> Thank Definitely. you, Kathy. Yes. <laughs> well, a book that I've discovered is called a child's garden, a story of hope. And it's by Michael Foreman. Um, a little, I think this takes place in Palestine, although it doesn't say, but a little boy's home has been reduced to ruin and rubble and now a wire fence and soldiers separate him from the streams and hills he once used to roam with his friends and father. Um, But one day the boy sees a tiny speck of green peeping up toward the sunlight and he quietly begins to help it grow with water and care. And soon it becomes this huge grapevine. It's, It's really beautiful And uh, it means so much to him because his whole life has been devastated by the war. Mm. Mm. Uh, It's really a beautiful tale about healing and renewal. And it pays tribute to the human spirit. And it really did bring tears to my eyes, you know, just thinking of that. Um, You know, the world might be bad, but the seeds need to be sown and connections have to be made. And love and spread, you know, the spreading of love and joy is also needed. And there is hope for the future and the hope and the metaphor for hope is the growing vine. Have you guys seen recently, um, it's been on social media, pictures of, of these beautiful plants that are now growing out of the Australia yeah. fires? Yeah. Oh, I haven't seen that. It's yes. like the devastated land and all of a sudden these beautiful shoots are coming up out of the ground. Mm-hmm. And that mm-hmm. just was what it reminded me of when you said that, Deanne, just the how the yeah. hope kind of yeah. springs up. Mm-hmm. Look at yeah. my Facebook page. I posted some pictures today. Oh, good. Yeah. Gorgeous. Yeah. Well, my two, I have two books. I could not limit it to one, <laughs> but I will keep summaries brief. Um, the first one I'm recommending today and that I'll be blogging about is called An Angel for Solomon Singer. This one's been out for a while, but... It is a phenomenal book. It's by Cynthia Ryland. So how could it not be, right? And it tells the story of how this poor man, he's friendless. um, He wanders the streets in New York City and he, he lives in a hotel. And it really shows him like he's so isolated and so alone in his life. And he misses the rural life he had growing up. And he really, his life just does not have a lot of meaning. Um, but then things begin to change for Solomon when um, he finds this cafe where he goes to eat. And it's kind of like a, you know, the quote when, where dreams come true. The waiter Angel um, works there and Angel helps him start to see the beauty around him and the, the good things that are around him. And because the man is able to make connections with the people in this cafe, his life actually changes and his, he, his hope is renewed. Um, I love, I love the man. Angel is able to help him see how he can find 
you know, some beauty in his surroundings and, and to understand what home really is. Um, it's not necessarily a place that you go to. It's something you have inside yourself. Oh. And then the other one is a, tr- a Train to Somewhere by Eve Bunting. Again, it's been out a while. Right. How could that be bad? She always yeah. makes me cry. All her books make me cry. I know. Her books are beautiful. And so for those of you who don't know, Train to Somewhere is is actually an orphan train. Um, this is the story. It's a historical fiction book. It's a picture book. And it's the story of an orphan named Marianne who is riding the orphan train from, she's going west from New York City. And it's, it happens right around the turn of the 20th century. And it's heartbreaking because Marianne's mother left her at the orphanage to find a better home. And despite promising her, she never returns for her. Oh. And so, yeah. So Marianne, I mean, this is a situation where this child could give up all hope, right? This is very sad. And you, you go through this train ride with Marianne and you watch child after child get off this train and find a new family and find a new home. But Marianne is never picked. She's never picked. And then at the very end, she's the only child left on the train. Oh, yes. oh my goodness. But who is waiting for her at the end is a new family that seems to love her on the spot, like they've been waiting for her their whole lives. And so oh, I got chills. Yeah, she finds a home, um, you know, and it's not the one that she thought she would get with her mom returning. Um, but you see the changes in Marianne. The further the, the train goes west, the more Marianne changes too. So those are my two. How about you, Greta? I thought you said you had three. I have three. But, but I'm, going mostly, I'm going to mostly blog about two of them. Um, one was an old favorite that uh, it just has come back to my mind with all the stories and the news about the coronavirus and mm-hmm. um, a lot of people losing hope and Oh, and and it's in some cases overreacting and overreacting to group, whole groups of people because they're so afraid of this virus. And there's this book that um, I used to read to my class, and it was published in the 1990s, I believe, and it's by Margaret Peterson Haddix called "Running Out of Time." Oh, oh yes, oh yes. And so you know that book made me think about the you know. Jesse, the main character, and how she's hopeful and she's going to solve this health crisis, you know, before it's too late. Um, and I'll I'll talk about that a little bit later because that's in my making connections. That's not my main book. And my other book that I found today for the first time was um, I'll talk about that in the connections too. It's a book of poetry. <laughs> <laughs> I was so busy downloading on my Kindle today and reading. Oh my gosh, it was just. Amazing. Anyway, the story, the main one that I want to talk about is the storyteller's candle. Mm-hmm. Lucia Gonzalez. I had never heard of this before. It made me want to give up my retirement certificate and go back and teach somebody about it. <laughs> so maybe that'll be you. The winter of 1929 feels especially cold to cousins Hildemar and Santiago. They arrived in New York City from sunny Puerto Rico, and they had arrived only months before. Their island home feels very far away indeed, especially with a holiday that they 
called Three Kings Day, rapidly approaching. Mm-hmm. I never heard of Three Kings Day either. But then a magical thing happens. They're in school and a visitor appears in their class. A gifted storyteller and librarian by the name of Pura Belpre. She opens the children's eyes to the public library and its potential uh. to be the living, breathing heart of the community. The library belongs to everyone, whether you speak Spanish, English, or both, or any other language. It's your library, and the books there can bring you hope and joy uh. and take you. You know what books can do, right? That's why we're doing this series. Yep. Mm-hmm. So um, the award-winning team of Lucia Gonzalez and Lulu Delaker, who um, illustrated it so beautifully, I'll talk about that later, have crafted an, an, an homage to Pura Belpre, New York City's first Latina librarian. Mm. And through her vision and dedication, through her carrying that storyteller's candle to children, the warmth of Puerto Rico came to the island of Manhattan to those children in a oh. very way it's so it's so beautiful and the author has carried on the tradition she is also latino she lives in miami she is a librarian a storyteller a puppeteer and she is just carrying on the tradition of this wonderful woman that she wrote about in this book Mm. oh wow amazing guys i'm so excited (laughs) so let's talk about what are some ways that you would get kids talking about them? What discussion strategies are you going to use? Well, what I'm going to suggest is going to take a brave teacher. Um, <laughs> uh, before, <laughs> before reading the book and before the kids come into the classroom, you need to make your room a mess you know, pile things up by the door so they have to walk around it and they can't get through. Maybe, you know, throw some things on the floor or something. But what you need to do is, you know, and then they have to find their desk, but they're going to have a real hard time finding it and they have to push things away and everything. Um, <laughs> but you're going to tell the class that the, a disaster has struck the classroom and they have to find their desks and they have to think about the emotions they're feeling and if they can't just jot them down. And then discuss them and then introduce the book, um, The Child's Garden, A Story of Hope, because there uh, where the children lived was it was in a rubble. It was just a it was a horrible, horrible mess. And, um, you know, you discuss it and everything and let them know. Talk about how the emotions I'm getting tongue twied tried now, too. (laughs) 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 Then Oh, am I going to do it? Okay. Talk about how about how the boy is feeling, how they think he's feeling with everything that's happening and going on, and um, lead them to understand that in the end, the tiny plant gives the boy a little bit hope, a little bit of hope, and um, for a better mm-hmm. life in the future. Mm, I like that. Activate wow. a little schema and a little bit of empathy there. Yep. Yes, yes, yes. Get a little empathy. Mm-hmm. Well. Um, One of the things that I would do, I think, to kind of prime the pump, and this would work for both books because it's about the theme, hope. I would do a a visible thinking routine called Generate, Sort, Connect, Extend. Say that 10 times fast, ladies. (laughs) 
Um, but it is one of my all time now favorite go to routines because of the conversation that happens. So I would introduce the word hope and I would ask students um, to work in groups to think of as many words, concepts or ideas as they can that they think are related to the word hope. And so we generate a list and then we combine our lists, getting rid of duplicates. And then um, I put those on note cards. Each word goes on a note card. And then I put hope, we go onto the back carpet and the center of the floor is the word hope. And I ask them, okay, so we put all of our words that we've generated out and I ask them, which words do you think are closer to the idea of hope and which ones are not so close? out of everything you've generated. And so the kids um, start to sort them and they start to categorize them and they start to build like concentric rings, um, levels of meaning around the word hope. And then um, what I've done in the past is then we I take a snapshot of that and we duplicate it up on a bulletin board. And then I take some yarn. The last part of that is, well, is the connect part. And I ask them what words are connected here you know, you can go between layers and we start to, to staple yarn and we uh, between the, the words to show connections and meaning. And in order to do that, we really have to talk about what these words mean to us, what they symbolize to us, what the concepts are. And then the last part is extend. After we're done with all of that, what other words have come to mind in your conversations? Let's put those up. Where would those go on our graph? And so we graph the word hope and all of the concepts and symbols and ideas that we have around that. And that's what I would do before ever reading the books. I would unpack our ideas about what hope is and why it's important. Wow. I love the personal connections they'll be making and just, mm -hmm. wow, all the conversations it'll elicit. It's my one of my most favorite routines. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of have like an academic crush on, on Ron Richard, but uh, <laughs> anyway, go ahead. Don't tell anyone. Oh no, no, just, just anyone who listens, go ahead. Yeah, right. <laughs> so I probably should have talked about all three of my books, but we don't have time. I'm good. Please read my blog post when I get around to writing it. Um, <laughs> my book of poetry that I talked about before is called They Call Me Guero. And Guero is a, um, a word for uh, a, actually a Mexican male person who is very light-skinned. And mm. the little boy in this um, book is a border kid. And he is, and, and he's telling his story of all of his experiences as this little red-haired, white-skinned, freckle-faced kid because he's partly Irish, but he's in a he's a Me part of a Mexican family and his siblings are brown skinned and his parents are brown skinned. He's kind of, you know, just the Irish came out in him. And um, he, he tells stories about how, you know, his family lives very close to the border on the U S side, they're citizens, mm -hmm. but they 
go across the border all the time. They love to go across to do their shopping. They go across to see friends. Um, and, you know, he tells the stories about how hopeless he feels sometimes sitting in the car on the way back, the questions that are asked, the way they're looked at. Um, oh, wow. They, the family praying that his teenage sister doesn't just get them all locked up because she's so arrogant and angry about the whole thing, the mm-hmm. whole experience. And he tells all of this in different kinds of verse, rap and narrative poetry. Oh, how interesting. And it's it's the coolest book, but it's basically his stories. And in this book, he talks about his abuela and his great-grandmother and his mother and his father Mm. and how they tell him stories of their family when this happened or that happened to bring hope back to him. And he says that this does bring hope back into his soul. That's what keeps him going. It's what keeps him hopeful. So what I would do for my activity I bring it down to that personal level, level, just like in They Call Me Guerra. I'd ask my students to share stories that have been told by their families or in their community. Or if there, mm-hmm. sometimes you're uncomfortable with that, it has a family that tells stories. So they could um, tell stories that they've heard in their community or that a friend has told them. Um, or even a story from mm-hmm. a book, if they want it. Stories that somehow have made them feel hopeful. And I always start with my own stories. And so I'd start with my Bubby's stories, and that means grandmother. My Bubby's story of how she left Poland at the age of 16, and she had a little brother holding each of her hands, an mm. eight-year-old and eight-year-old little brother. And she made a new life in America with these two little boys, a 16-year-old girl, while they waited for their parents to join them. Oh, and my goodness. Yeah. And the stories that she shared with me over the years, always reassured me that because things were pretty hopeless in her country when she had to flee. It always Mm -hmm. reassured me, no matter how hopeless the world around you may seem, you can always start over and you can bring your own hope to any situation because we humans are very resilient creatures. And then I doubt that would make a Patricia Polacco book. Retta, you should write it. What? Yeah, you should. Actually, I could write some of her stories. Let me think you about should. that. <laughs> wow. Kathy, well, yours. Yeah. Well, you know, I want my students to think of hope. And actually, Tracy, if I did the activity that you talked about, this would address this. I, I definitely want to do this. Um, but I want them to think of hope as not just, you know, mindless pie in the sky dream. I hope to be a millionaire or I hope, you know, I get good grades, but I want them to get that feeling of empowerment and, you know, growth mindset in a true way. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, do you guys know the um, company called Free Spirit Publishing? No. They, oh, I have gotten so many books from this company because they really, I think originally maybe they had started out being like a company with um, books specifically for like special ed students mm-hmm. or, but they were books f- written for students. So for example, there's one called How to Get the Grr, G-R-R-R, Out of Anger. Or there's mm-hmm. another one um, called The Gifted Kids Survival Handbook. So how as a student who is gifted, like you might be really misunderstood. So there's a lot of books written specifically for kids who are a little bit different. Anyway, Uh they have these two great books. One is called Gutsy Girls. And I have that book. Do you have it? 
Yeah, I, I mean, do. now you can get it on Amazon, but I mean, I bought it like years and years and years ago from Free Spirit. Yeah. And then there's yeah. another one called Real Kids, Real Stories, Real Challenges, Overcoming Adversity mm. Around the World. And they are both books with short stories about real kids who have overcome adversity and bringing hope. And so I either use it as a read aloud during morning meeting and we can, you know, create a chart listing the attributes of those kids with specific Mm -hmm. examples from the text. I mean, it it has just brought amazing conversations about, and I like reading them because they are about, you know, younger people so that they can connect to it, knowing that they too can, you know, have some hope, even if things seem to be going really awful. Yeah. Mm, Great choices. Great ideas. So, okay, we've talked about discussion. What activities do you see yourself doing with your book? Beyond discussion, what would you start to, what would you use? Well, hope. You know, a lot of, I can just see the writing on the wall when we talk about this theme with our kids. Hope doesn't mean wishful thinking. Like I can see kids going to that, right? I hope I win the lottery. I hope I get to play pro football. I hope. But instead, a person who has high hopes knows how to do the following things. They know how to set clear and attainable goals. They know how to use multiple strategies to reach those goals, how to get up when they don't reach those goals, and how to stay motivated. Um, even when the going gets tough. So when I think about my book, my two books that I've picked, um, there's a couple ideas that I have um, that I would do. So the, the Solomon Singer book, um, the, the artwork in it, the illustrations are amazing. And they are so perfect for teaching mood Just the colors that are used in them and the way the colors change as the story changes. So I would be doing mood lessons with this this book because of the artwork. And one of my favorite ways to do that is to provide some background music for kids. Now, because I'm a musician and I used to have a piano in my classroom, sometimes I was the person who provided the background music. Um, I would play snippets of, of pieces. And I'd ask the kids, you know, which, if, if this was the soundtrack to the book, where would this music go? Um, and why would you choose to put it in that spot and not another spot? And so it's a great way to talk about mood. Now, I know not everyone has a guitar or a piano or something like that in their classroom, and not everyone is a musician, but this is not a hard thing to do. Go onto YouTube search out some music, instrumental, no words, search Mm -hmm. out some music and, and choose like start easy, choose with three pieces. Okay. It could be jazz. It could, you know, whatever you think fits the book the best, you want to give kids about three choices and you need to say to them, okay, which let's listen to snippets of these pieces, which would you put at the beginning of the book and why, what would happen at the middle? What would happen at the end? And, Ask them to explain their thinking and their their feeling and then talk about mood and how an author shows mood and how an illustrator shows mood. It'd be a great, great thing to do. Mm. And I 
probably would do that with a train to somewhere too. Although Angel, Angel for Solomon Singer is uh, would be an easier one to do that with. How about you, Kathy? Well, Kathy had to go. Um, okay. <laughs> but she, what she likes to do is to give copies of a few of the different stories from the book she was just telling us about to mm -hmm. group students and have them create skits or interviews of their selected person and sometimes make a short video about them. Oh, fun. What a cool well, idea. How all of us are using the arts. In some yes. Way. Yes. Performing yes. arts, music, art, probably interpretive dance. By the time we get to the end, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Oh my gosh, <laughs> so good. Anyway, um, this book that I found today, the storyteller's candle that I was talking about before, um, also had an extensive interview online with Lulu Delaker, who was the illustrator, and mm -hmm. I love her thinking, and this is what I would do for my activity with the kids, that um, she wanted to know everything she could find out about the time, um, New York, Spanish Harlem around mm -hmm. 1930. And she actually found a January 6, 1930 New York Times uh, paper in a rare mm -hmm. newspaper store. And she, and she was interested in doing collage and it ended up that her illustrations really aren't so much collage, but it's the technique. Um, and she used the newspaper to kind of place the drawing that she did in the historical context. So she'd have the right clothing and the right scenery and, you know, all the right props. Mm. Um, and she says, if you really read her book carefully, um, you'll see in the picture References to the U.S. president at the time, transportation, art, mm -hmm. and the employment. Even a reference of Christmas traditions in Puerto Rico. And what she did was, after getting, you know, the little bits of the newspaper, she painted with a sepia wash to make everything look like an old photo. And then she used washes of other colors. So there's like all this watercolor activity going on. And it was like, you are singing my song because mm -hmm. my favorite kind of art to create with kids is to do a pencil drawing mm -hmm. and go over it with black Sharpies. So you've got a real clear black ink outline. And I'd like my students to do that kind of a uh, outline of several scenes from a family story that they're telling. Mm -hmm. and then Arrange them, you know, like those um, apps that they have now where you can kind of juxtapose them. They're not just like boom, 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 but you put them so they're like turned different ways and overlapping. And mm -hmm. I have them glue them down and then colorize that collage with soft watercolor washes. Here's how to do it for free. Get some little jars of water, and as your markers dry up, have the kids put the markers right in the water and just soak mm -hmm. all your red markers in one jar, all your yellow markers in another jar. Got it? And mm -hmm. then when it's time to do your colorizing of your black and white drawings, just put those jars out on the table and put some uh, brushes around them, and the kids can use those for the most gorgeous watercolor effects on those collages of family stories. Cool idea. Sounds beautiful. Mm -hmm. I like it. Okay. That's well, yeah. <laughs> for me, <laughs> you know, like in The Wizard of Oz where Dorothy is in Kansas and it's black and white mm -hmm. and all of a sudden she goes over the rainbow 
because she doesn't want to be in Kansas anymore. Yeah. Well, <laughs> in the story, um, the co- the illustrations were mostly black and white, but the only things that would stand out would be the um, the little growing vine. Right. So I thought it might be a good idea to have the kids make silhouette type drawings, black <laughs> and white based based on scenes from the book, and then have something that shows hopefulness stand out like, you know, like the vine or something, or they could make up their own stories, mm-hmm. um, you know, black and white, and then make what they're, yeah, the hope, the hope, the thing that showed hope stand out by making oh, it like a bright mm-hmm. sun or something. And then they could write stories using the metaphors depicting hope. Mm, I like the silhouette idea. What a cool, cool idea. Yeah. yeah. Well, ladies, as usual, when we are talking about books, we are long-winded. We have so many ideas. I love talking to you guys because each one of us is so creative in our own way. And I think we kind of feed off of each other, don't you think? Yes. Yeah, <laughs> I think so. We are almost out of time. So we've got one little section that I think that was a pretty important section. So let's let's move to that. Okay. What are your text connections? What what partner books are you suggesting to go with one of the books that you've already talked about? Well, I know that um, Kathy had to, to leave, but one of the books that she was suggesting is Life Doesn't Frighten Me. And it's a picture book with words from a poem by Maya Angelou, which is just, it's phenomenal. Um, it's illustrated by artist Jean-Michel Basquiat, and it just celebrated its 25th year in print. Um, it's a brave and defiant poem. Um, I think it's perfect for pairing with picture books about hope. How mm-hmm. about Absolutely. you, Retta? What, what are you suggesting? Um, well, my two books uh, to make connections with were, uh, as I talked about before, call, call, They Call Me Guero, and also mm-hmm. Running Out of Time. So in Running Out of Time, Jesse lives in a small village in Indiana in what she believes to be the 1830s. The adults in the town chose to live there. They knew that it was really 1996, and they chose to follow this guy named Clifton back to Indiana. Her family Mm -hmm. left Pennsylvania to go live there and live in the old ways in the village as if they were living in 1830s. And their children were born there, or they were very young when they took them there. So the children believe it's 1830s. The parents know it's 1996. And there are these little glass things up in the trees and in their houses and in their schools, like these little screens. And they're actually viewing screens so that tourists can come through and see people living their life in the 1830s in real time. Oh, wow. So how lovely for the tourists and how hideous to, you know, my opinion, Mm. to have done this to these people. Well, The owner of the village, I guess, is either getting bored with it or he's losing money or I don't know what's going on. But formerly, whenever a kid in the village got sick, whenever anybody got sick, they'd go to see this Dr. Fisker, I think it is. And Dr. Fisker would tell them about, you know, which plants to use for a potion and which 1830s remedy to use. And under the table, he would flip them some actual medication from Mm. 
from current times so that they can get better antibiotics, you know, that kind of thing. Well, diphtheria breaks out in the village. And um, the doctor isn't giving out any medication anymore. No vaccinations, DPT, nothing. And Jesse's mother now gets scared. She's the midwife for the uh, village and the people call her when their children are sick in the middle of the night and kids are dying. And Clifton has kind of walked away from it because he's figuring they'll just die out. And then he, you know, he's losing, he won't lose as much on his investment. So Jessie is sent by her mother. She knows nothing about 1996. She gives her an old pair of bell-bottom jeans that she has from the outside world that she hopes fits her Mm -hmm. and um, smuggles her out of, out of the, um, uh, the village to, to go out and, and get some help and get, bring some medicine back and get people back who will help them and who will, you know, blow Clifton's cover. So Jesse is, is like the symbol of hope and she has to remain hopeful, you know, as she's out there in, in the world. What an interesting story. Yeah. And her mother, you know, does start doing a little storytelling too, which, (laughs) you know, tells her about life in 1996. She's got it because she knows nothing and she's going out there, you know, with, with no ammunition. So, um, yeah, the common theme between that and They Call Me Guero and The Storyteller's Candle is all about storytelling and how it can bring hope to hopeless-seeming situations. Mm -hmm. Well, I recommended two books to start with, and they definitely could be paired together, um, comparing and contrasting how hope is is prevalent in both of them. But I always like to bring in poetry too, and two short poems that I would use with these books to kind of um, partner. When I partner poems with books, I don't tell the kids necessarily why I've partnered them. I like to have them figure out why I would put those two texts together. Mm. And so, of course, the first one I kind of referenced earlier, earlier um, Hope is the Thing with Feathers by um, Emily Dickinson. Uh, Hope is the thing with feathers that perches in the soul and sings the tune without the words and never stops at all. And there's three stanzas to the poem. It's beautiful. And then the other one is um, uh, Langston Hughes, hold fast to dreams for if dreams die, life is a broken winged bird that cannot fly. Hold fast to dreams for if dreams go, life is a barren field frozen with snow. Um, And, you know, those are two poems that are, totally digestible for fifth graders or sixth graders. Mm. Um, They can get it. And I think that it's going to enrich any of the picture books that I've recommended. How about you? Uh, I have two books, of course, right? Mm. (laughs) I seem to be, I seem to be picking um, books that have to do with different countries and the the terrible things that go on there. Um, This one is called hope for Haiti by Jesse Joshua Watson. Mm -hmm. Uh, When the earth trembled, his entire village disappeared. Now a boy and his mother are living in a soccer stadium in a dwelling made of tin and bedsheets. And they had long lines for food and water. But even with so much pain all around, he finds a child playing with a soccer ball that's made of rags. And soon many children are caught up in the joy of the game. And that takes them out of their stark surroundings into a world where anything is possible. And they begin to look forward to a bright future in spite of the sadness. So the soccer ball gives them hope here. 
Um, the other one, A Flicker of Hope by Julia Cook. It's about a little candle that um, is flame is almost out. Mm-hmm. It, helps, it helps kids to understand that we all have obstacles, mountains to climb, dark clouds hanging over our heads that get in our way, but we can overcome them, um, that we're not alone in our hopelessness. We can ask for help. Um, and we can also be a hope builder for others when they're really down. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. Well, listeners, this is all we have time for today. We hope you've enjoyed this theme talk, our our book talk, as much as we have. Be sure to check out our blogs. We have written more about these books and shared resources about teaching the theme of hope. Um, This is something that I know all of us have been really looking forward to. So be sure to check out the blogs. Be sure to tune in next week for our discussion. It'll be the last of our four-part series where we're talking about fostering a culturally responsive classroom. This time we're going to be talking about how using choice in response and assessments can really help your students. If you like what you hear, give us a shout out, share on social media, leave a comment or give us five stars on your listening platform. And we'll see you next week because you teach so hard. (laughs) 